0: welcome to reasoning through the bible today we're in acts chapter 17 where paul is in athens he's waiting for his friends and we have here the athens that everybody thinks of it's the cultural center of ancient greece and it has what we would expect there's a mishmash of different people from different things and we learn some things today Steve about greek culture yeah. and we learn some things about some greek philosophy and we learn some things about how paul approaches his way of doing ministry and we also learn how he gives out a message to a wide variety of people
1: yeah yeah it's going to be really fun to go through this part part of it
0: if you remember last time, Paul has been traveling through on one of his missionary journeys. He's been going from place to place. He has been persecuted at each place he goes, but he's not diminished nor daunted at all. He goes with as much vigor as he ever has. And everywhere he goes, there's he leaves Christians in his wake that have come to faith in Christ. And he also builds some animosity from people that just don't like the message of Christ. And so that's the Apostle Paul. As some of the people in the last sessions have said in the Scriptures, he's turning the world upside down. But what he's really doing is trying to turn it right side up because the world is already upside down, Mm -hmm. as we know. So now we have Paul. Again, he's in Athens. And we're going to meet some Greek culture here. And so let me just read the first couple of verses of our day. We're going to jump in here at Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. It says this, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, What would this idol babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Yeah. So, Steve, who are the the three or four groups here that Paul was speaking with? Who who were these? People? Well,
1: there's the the Jewish people once again, because they're at the synagogue, and then we see that term "god fearing" people as well, and these were these were Gentiles. Who were other places? It's referred to people at the gate. They were they were seeking and worshiping the one true God, and maybe they hadn't completely converted over to Judaism, but they would go to the synagogues as well. And then we have these philosophers that that are there. And there's two of the main branches of the philosophy: Epicurean and the uh, Stoics. That so I mentioned.
0: again, Athens, large city, kind of a cultural center of mm-hmm. ancient Greece. And we have Jewish people. We've got Gentile people. Mm-hmm. We've got just people, general, in general population yeah. in the marketplace. We've got these educated philosophers. Yeah, many different people. And what is Paul doing again while he's there? And he's reasoning with them. He's reasoning with them. He's he's waiting for his friends, mm-hmm. and he's not idle while he's yeah. waiting. So this gives us a a major clue of what. How Paul approaches this job of going around and and proclaiming the good news, evangelizing, if you will, he doesn't wait until there's a specific time right he's He's not waiting for some ministry campaign to happen. he's not waiting for okay, I have to get enough other helpers here. He's by himself, no, he proclaims to the the sense we get here is that everybody bumps into, yeah. And he's also stirred within
1: himself. The word that's used is provoked within him because he's seeing all of these idols. And of course, we know with Athens that there's all the different Greek gods and temples that are there in Athens to all these different Greek gods that are associated. And so he's, you almost get this sense that he feels for these people because they are worshiping, not the Greek, not the Jewish people at the synagogue or the God fearing, but the other people in 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 uh, Athens there they're worshipping all these different gods and have all these different idols and this right. stirs something in Paul within himself
0: right right and so what i think of here with all these different people and i think of all the different people groups that Paul has encountered so far in the book what i think of is what Paul said in another place where he he would adapt his message to the audience he doesn't adapt the final message of the gospel that mm-hmm. stays the same right but the approach he takes with everybody right he admits himself that he adapts his approach now we're in this chapter we're only really told the speech he gave to the philosophers right but we're told he spoke to the Jews in the synagogue he spoke to the marketplace he spoke to these different people mm-hmm. and as has been his pattern I think we can be confident he didn't start with this exact same approach with all these people. He ends at the same place, right he always ends with what the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus, right, mm-hmm. but he starts from different places, and right. so I think we can be confident that when he's in the marketplace, he right. deals with people as as a businessman. if he's in the synagogue, he deals with the Jews as with the a, Old
1: Testament scriptures,
0: and when he's in the uh, as we're going to see when he's talking to the philosophers mm-hmm. he he starts with philosophy.
1: So that's uh, a lesson that we can take that that we should not just have one approach whenever we witness to other people as well. Right Glenn, is that kind of what you're you're talking right. about? Right. We should be prepared to deal with different types of people in regards to sharing the gospel with them and not just have just have one the message like you says is the same but how we approach them and how we engage them should be different and we should be prepared to be have different ways that we engage them.
0: Correct. Paul even says this in 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 20, Paul says this, to the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. Mm-hmm. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may, by all means, save some.
1: Some people have taken that and interpreted that as being, see, Paul is being deceptive. He's trying to deceive people. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying is, is that, the the way that I engage them, I engage them where the people are in order to get the gospel to them. That's not being deceptive.
0: Right. I, I don't think at all. No. It's like what we're going to see here in Acts 17, he sees a city full of idols. Yeah. And he's going to mention that here in a little bit. Right. What did he do when he spoke to the Jews in the synagogue? Earlier in the book, it gave us one of his speeches. Right. He starts with Abraham. Right it's not going to help to go to the philosophers right and start with Abraham and it's not going to help to go to the Jews and and not mention Abraham correct and so when he spoke with the pagans that were Zeus worshipers when he I believe it was Lystra right what does he talk about he talks about the creation of the world and
1: that, and that the that Jesus is, is the judge yes. And that's the way he approach with the Jewish people he talks them as being the Messiah, the Christ and, and so again, That's not deceptive. That's just dealing with the people in regards to where they're, where they particularly are and their beliefs or, and, and being able to engage with them. He starts
0: with where the people are and what would make sense to them. And then he always goes in the same direction, which is towards the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right. And how we need to repent and follow him.
1: Right. And it says here, that's one of the reasons why, which we'll get into, but there in verse 18, that's one of the reasons why they're kind of, looking at paul strangely is because he's talking about strange deities and the resurrection so he's he's the message is still the same this this is
0: the way that he engages them, right and so he we're not told exactly what he said to everybody in the marketplace but we can be pretty confident he's as you just said he's talking about jesus to everybody right and again the sense that we get from paul here is that everywhere he goes, he's doing ministry. Whoever he bumps into, he sees, a oh, there's a synagogue. They'll talk about God in there, so I'll go there and talk to them about God. Right. Uh, I, I have to do some just normal life things down at the marketplace. I'll talk to them about God. Oh, here's some people that want to ask me to come and talk, so I'll go talk about God there. And so he as he goes through life with the people he's meeting, He's talking to them about Jesus. What he's not doing is separating out, okay, here's the spiritual part of my life, and that only happens at certain times of the week, and then here's the other parts of my life that I'll I'll go through and and not deal with, with Jesus at all in those parts. No, no. Right. Jesus is throughout everything he does. Exactly. Now, in verse 16, what does it say Paul saw in Athens? A city full of idols. Full of idols, or some of the translations say given over mm-hmm. the idols. The idea here is that they were everywhere. They were everywhere. There are temples the, everywhere. The, the city was embracing them to the point that they were readily accepting all these idols. Athens had embraced idols in a wholehearted way.
1: And we have archaeological proof of that. Yes. Yeah.
0: So many people today embrace things wholeheartedly that take them far from God. Right. Do they not?
1: Yes. There's yeah.
0: people that are given over to maybe not a statue that they call an idol, but there's many people that are given over to idols, right? And they've done it in a in a wholehearted way, and so we bump into people like this all the time. Verse twelve. What happened to Paul when he saw these things? What verb does it use there? What how does it describe it? He was provoked. Was being provoked in the spirit. It right. says always pay attention to the verb tenses, because it always helps us as we go through. And so it, this is a passive voice verb here, so it's happening to Paul. It, it means his, his spirit was provoked within him. God is provoking Paul. The Holy Spirit is provoking Paul that would lead Paul to be interested in these things. So the Christian always needs to be sensitive to the tug of the Holy Spirit. What is God leading me to do? And that he will bring things up to our attention. He will rise things in our spirit. And in this case, the Holy Spirit, God through the Holy Spirit was provoking Paul to right. be interested in these things, to be, to be bothered by all these idols.
1: And, and it, 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 would, it could have been easy for him just to stick with the synagogues and the uh, Jewish people that were there, and the God-fearing people that were there, and the marketplace as well. But the Holy Spirit, as you were mentioning, was provoking him, pricking his heart, that he really he he felt for this city because they were so far away from God.
0: Yes. One of our first discussion questions, what must happen to us before we can be effective in ministry? What must happen before we be effective in ministry? Yielding to the Holy Spirit. Where is he leading us? Our spirit has to be moved. Yeah. Our spirit has to be provoked to something. God has to lead us. We can't really do ministry in God's kingdom effectively unless our spirit is provoked by the Holy Spirit to motivate us to care for the lost or to care for some something
1: and we should want that we we should we should be asking for the holy spirit to lead us with who he he wants us to share the gospel
0: so what is the balance between i know in my mind i should be doing ministry and there's things that okay that god has commanded me that that have to get done mm. in in a in a church body and then on the other hand i'm 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 not feeling provoked i'm not feeling moving of the holy spirit here What's the balance between, okay, here's something in my church that I'm not doing anything in the meanwhile, uh, I'm, I'm not provoked to do it, but somebody needs to do this, so I'll jump in and help. Right. On the other hand, mm-hmm. waiting for, you know, I just, I just waiting for the Holy Spirit to move me. And so I submit, while you're waiting, Yeah. this is what Paul's doing. <laughs> do something. Do something. <laughs> don't, don't just wait and do nothing. Churches right. always need a help. Right. So we should always be motivated to do something, and if we're not, then while we're waiting for that moving of the Holy Spirit, look around your church, and yeah. there will be something to do. You you can help in the meanwhile. So in verse 17, what did Paul do there? We, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but he reasoned with them. Right. And again, we've said this many times, but the the only reason we say it many times is because it comes up in the text many times. Right. He is reasoning with these Jewish people. The old King James says disputed with them. He argued with them. The term here is this, this dialogue, as you pointed out in a previous session. He's having a reasoned conversation that draws a logical conclusion based on evidence. That's what That's what he's doing when he's reasoning. And to the point that it's
1: things that would make somebody revolve what he's saying in their mind, to
0: think about what he's saying. The definition of the word, just looking it up in in the language documents, it means to to argue, Mm -hmm. to instruct, to inform, to come up with someone and have this interaction where Mm -hmm. you're doing a reasonable Attempt to correct the other person, right? And so Paul was having this these discussions, these conversations, reasoning with them, trying to persuade them of the truth. We should do the same. Yeah, I think an approach one way
1: to look at it too is is to reason with somebody. The word argue there is meant just to have a a point and a counterpoint. It's not to prove a point. In other words, it's not to convince somebody. It's not just to prove I'm right. Yes, that's, that's it's, a good it's, way to put to it. It's to that's lead what I'm them saying. to Jesus. That's right. That, that's exactly, I'm glad you said that, because that's what I was trying to say. It's not just proving that you're correct. It's reasoning with them so that they will believe. You're We're already a believer. We don't need right. to convince ourselves, and right. you're not going to convince somebody else you know, by just arguing with them or making points with them they they the holy spirit has to convict them but you have to give them or you should give them something that the holy spirit can work with we need
0: to be winsome yes but in being winsome we still use reason we use logic we use persuasion all all these things we discuss we we look at their their position and come to a counter with it and that's what paul does every time right in Chapter 17, verse 2, Paul reasoned with the Jews. Seventeen, seventeen. Paul reasoned with the Jews and anyone who happened to be in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. 18, 4, Paul reasoned in the synagogue. Mm-hmm. And so Paul is doing this everywhere. He is persuading people. He's not just saying the words of God. We should say the words of God, right. but we should also take those and look at where the other person, their questions, their objections, the places where they're wrong. Repeatedly, Paul, point by point, goes down and contradicts those who are in error. And he tells us to do that in, in the other parts of the Scripture. And he's doing it every day.
1: So he's not only going to the synagogues on the Sabbath Daily. And, and talking with them, he's in the
0: marketplace every day talking to the people that are that are going to listen to him. Yes. So his, his pattern, once again, is when he's with the Jewish people, he reasons from the Scriptures mm-hmm. because that's what they held to be authoritative. Mm-hmm. When he's with the Gentiles, he starts with the things that the Gentiles would know and understand. Correct. Paul Always finds common ground and reasons with people to persuade them about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right. When we speak to other people about biblical things, are we to reason with them? Yes. Yes. We don't just quote Bible verses to them. Correct. We don't shy away from quoting Bible verses, because that's the whole point, is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we reason with them to the Scriptures, and that's the whole point. Towards the end of verse 18, what was Paul reasoning with them about? Jesus and the resurrection. Right. right? Right. If we're going to dispute about something, let's do it about something worthwhile. Right. Not about minor things.
1: And a key part there in verse eighteen, he says, "This proclaimer of strange deity." So, in other words, Paul wasn't just telling them about Jesus and his God resurrection in general. or God in general, but he was telling them that Jesus was God. Yes, right. He was claiming that Jesus was God. That's what uh, is meant here. That they're looking at him. They go, what? What? Is, who is this strange deity? Who's this
0: strange God yes. by the name of Jesus? So. The next three verses, Steve, read 19 through 21. And they took him and brought him to the
1: Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new.
0: In these three verses... There's these philosophers, mm-hmm. and they bring Paul to a place, usually it's the Areopagus. This place is actually still there. It's, yeah. it's in the ruins of ancient Athens. You could go there and visit it today. But they bring him up there and say, this is where all the people that discuss these things hang out. And in those days, just a little bit of background, In those days, when they used the word philosophy, Mm -hmm. it's different than today what we hold to be philosophy. In those days, philosophy was anything and everything you had to think about Mm -hmm. in a complicated way. Philosophers in those days covered many different subject areas. Like Plato, an ancient Greek philosopher, Mm -hmm. one of his major areas was how governments should run. Plato's Republic was about how governments should run. Right. Aristotle, another ancient Greek philosopher, he he wrote about ethics and morals, he wrote about biology, he wrote about cosmology, he wrote about all these things that we would today label as science, but they labeled it all under one heading of philosophy. And yeah. so they would talk about philosophy, it was biology, astronomy, ethics, morals, how governments should run, uh, all these kind of things. This is all of what was talked about in this this one top of this hill there in ancient Athens. Yeah, and it's, it's
1: Areopagus, which means the hill of Ares. Ares was the god of war. So it's okay. interesting that here they bring him to this area where it's a place where one of their gods is worshipped. So it says here in verse 21,
0: they were only interested in talking about new things all the time. Mm -hmm. What does that tell you about these people? Well, it tells me they didn't apply it. Yeah. (laughs) They were only interested in the discussion. Right. And not how it applied to real life. Right. Right. And okay, here's something new. Let's go talk about that. (laughs) Let's go discuss it. The history of philosophy is like that. One guy will pop up and say, oh, I found the answer. Yeah. And he'll collect a group of followings, and then the next one comes along and refutes the first one right. and say, I've found the answer. Yeah. And he'll have a group of followers, and then he'll die, and the next guy will come along. And so the whole history of philosophy is like that, of one thing after another, one new thing after another. And the question is, okay, what do we do with it? Because there's some bits of truth in, in all these things. right? And so how do we turn that into something meaningful to, to people? And so I submit today, Steve, that there's people in our day that are only looking for new and novel ideas and methods and always getting distracted by the latest shiny object Blown or in the, the wind. latest shiny idea. And I compare this to the biblical prophets from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. They were not pointing to something new. Right. They were pointing to something old. That was the same. It was Jer- Jeremiah says this, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths
1: mm-hmm.
0: where the good way is and walk in it. That's Jeremiah 6.16. Mm-hmm. Or Proverbs says this, There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end is the way of death. That's in Proverbs 14.12. So, Jeremiah was pointing back to the old ways, the ancient paths, the way the Old ways are is the tried and true way. The only way they got to be old was that they worked. Okay? It it's like if if you're lost and you're wandering around and you see one path that, well, I can't really tell mm-hmm. if that's really a path or not. Maybe some people went that way. Oh, here's one that's really well worn. Mm-hmm. All right. What are you going to conclude? That one goes somewhere.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And a a lot
0: of people are traveling it. A lot of people are going that way. Right. It it goes somewhere. Right. Whereas that first one, it may not go anywhere. There may have been two people wandered off that way, got lost, never came back. Right. But this well-worn path, it may not go where I want to go, but it goes somewhere. Right. And so that's what the prophets are saying. Find the ancient paths Mm -hmm. and follow those. It's not the new, latest, greatest thing that's going to pull you off of the truth. The reason why the ancient ways are ancient is because they work. The reason why these things out of the scriptures that are thousands of years old are still relevant today is because it is a well-worn, sure path where we can base our life on. We live in a day... Where everybody's interested, like these ancient Greeks, what's the latest, greatest? And it's fly by night, it's here and gone tomorrow, our life is but a breath, and then it's gone. And I submit that we should not seek the latest, greatest, shiny new object, the latest new thing, but look for the old ways that are tried and true.
1: Yeah, couldn't agree more.
0: God says the ancient ways are the good ways, and so we, we talked about that. But uh, Paul is our man of the hour here. He's going to keep on his missionary journey, and we're going to keep on reasoning through the Bible. God bless.